0: The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL. And then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 365. My name is Chris. And my name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Good morning. Guess what? Big show today. Huge show today. Really? Yeah, actually, uh, both Noah and I were kicking around this week. What do we want to talk about? Something that we're both really kind of fired up about. And we both kind of landed on emulation under Linux. Now, stick with me here because this is a pretty interesting topic that just got a lot more interesting this week. We're going to tell you why. And this isn't just like a how to, this is truly exploring something that is really great under Linux. Now, it's been a low, long, slow coming for commercial games to come to Linux. And in the absence of that, the Linux community has really done an excellent job of bringing some of the best and some of our favorite classic games to us. Now, this isn't really an episode celebrating classic games so much as celebrating something that the Linux community, and open source community, has done exceedingly well. We're going to show you a couple of tools to take advantage of all of this hard work that really shine under Linux. Anything from somebody who's mildly interested to somebody who's super passionate about retro games. We're going to talk about that today. But plus, in the news segment we're gonna to have to talk about oculus totally bailing on linux users there's a new ubuntu phone coming out and finally maybe a true google docs killer plus we've got other things in the news segment the feedback and our picks noah huge show huge i guess so I guess we had to go big for episode 365, after all. That doesn't come around every, every now and then. You gotta, you gotta, when that happens, you've got to go big. Uh, and the news was really big this week, too, with Venom in the news, uh, some new kernel vulnerabilities that just came out on Thursday, or Friday, I think it was, actually. We'll talk about that. So a ton of stuff we have to cover. So let's just jump right into our picks. This came right out of the headlines this week. We couldn't ignore it. You guys probably all saw it. The Chill Hub runs Linux. That's right. It is an Ubuntu-powered Fridge that runs Linux. That's our runs Linux pick right there, Noah. I I, uh, I don't really have a lot to say about this, because it's kind of an example of Internet of Things that is a partnership between Canonical and GE. Canonical also announced a partnership with Microsoft and Acer this week to power their Internet of Things with Ubuntu Snappy. Sounds very fancy, doesn't it? Uh, it'll be great when it's a shipping product. Chill Hub runs Snappy Ubuntu Core. That's the transactionally updated minimal Ubuntu spin that we've been talking about recently. And, you know, the idea is you have a fridge here with two USB ports, Wi-Fi, has apps for iOS and Android, I presume, and then it tells things like it checks sensors for temperature data, uh, it you know, uh, would allow you to use add-on products that would be sold for 50 to 80 bucks a pop to weigh your milk or your, your beverages and things like that. Now, I think this is a little silly, but Noah, you have a fridge that runs Linux right now, so I'm kind of curious. Do. This seems like the next logical step for somebody like you. Are you interested yeah. in this? Uh, No, well, (laughs) you know, I could be. Um, You know, the the reality is is I
1: wanted a smart fridge. I'm that guy that wants to. I want to be that quintessential guy that is that that if there's something that I can make myself more geeky or more nerdy, I want to try it. I want to play with it. I want to see if. And the the problem with that is is it leads me down a road of constantly doing things of. Buy it, and then find a way to make it useful. Rather than saying what most people do, I have this problem. This technology would fill that that Here's- that void. And I kind of work backwards. I
0: kind of I kind of wonder about maybe overcomplicating our lives if we're gonna do this. Super mm-hmm. glad we're doing it with Linux. But at the same time, do I need to spend $150 for an autofill water pitcher sensor to send a notification right. to my phone? I already have too many mm-hmm. notifications. I already have too many things that I worry about. Do I really need to worry about the state of the water in my fridge? I could just fill more water in there when I see it. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I guess it, I feel But you guess and I, I were just like talking
1: the, last week. You and I were just talking last week about how you would like to have a fridge at the studio that maybe took an inventory, and when you ran low on whatever it was that was in there, you would it would uh, it would send a thing to your Amazon account and and automatically reorder the, that. The so difference there is the I day.
0: I envision that more like an Amazon fridge, and it, maybe it would run uh, Linux as well, but that would be tied in with Amazon services. There wouldn't be like the fridge would come with a water sensor. I wouldn't have to spend right. $150 because it makes Amazon more money when I order more water, whatever the hell they would do. That's true. So I, I, uh, I, it's not, it's not, it's just, it feels very commercialized. I'm not the only one who thinks so. Uh, if you just time mm-hmm. travel a little bit, you say go back to 2006, it seemed like maybe Mark Shuttleworth thought it was a bit of a silly idea, uh, Ubuntu running on a fridge. I mean, or maybe he thought it was a great idea and just saw the future. But here, I'll show you, I'll show a clip. I'll play this clip for you, Noah. This is Mark Shuttleworth from 2006, uh, November. Sixteenth, talking about Ubuntu-powered fridge. Uh,
2: Ubuntu rare footage. Wonderful things possible. For example, Linux appliance with Ubuntu pre We call this the fridge.
0: Yes, that really is. That was Mark Shuttleworth doing a Borat. I'm going to play it again because it's a little hard, but that's Mark Shuttleworth pretending to be Borat introducing the Ubuntu fridge. It is, it is him. I promise if you're listening to the audio version. And uh, then they'll play the later
2: Ubuntu version. Ubuntu, make wonderful things possible. For example, Linux Appliance with Ubuntu pre-installed. We call this the fridge. <laughs>
0: that's pretty funny. And so obviously they have some humor about it. In a way, it's kind of remarkable to see Ubuntu running on a fridge. But you could see even back then that, like, at some point, Mark Schellerworth himself thought the idea was funny enough that he would dress up as Borat and do an infomercial for Ubuntu running on a fridge. And that's a thing. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. I thought that was pretty good. But no, if you buy one, you'll do a review for us, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> How come I don't believe you? I don't feel like you're going to buy one of these. You don't things. believe I'd do a review, or you don't believe I'd buy the fridge? Yeah, that. that I don't think you're actually okay. going to buy the fridge.
1: I don't know. I don't. I think at, you're BSing me. At this me. point, I have no plans to buy an Ubuntu-powered fr- Well, here's the thing: if you can make, if there was something I could do or play with the fridge that I couldn't already do, I, I would be perfectly happy to, to to do that. But honestly, my smart my smart fridge, to the extent that a smart fridge can be useful, I have found ways to make it useful. Yeah. And okay.
0: I, so it has so you think it has actually sort of been a worthwhile investment?
1: Um, I think that I could have solved the same thing by setting a tablet up in my kitchen But the thing that I like about my fridge that the 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 thing that makes it to the point where I would say If I had it to do over again I do the same thing is when I wake up in the morning and I walk out in the kitchen to get to uh, to drink a glass of orange juice My schedule is right there on, on the screen. I see what's going on that day More importantly the other day I woke up realized Sarah had a dentist appointment And so I realized I was alone in the house with the kids because she had left and uh, the Where I had <laughs> realized that out. was when I saw it on the fridge Yeah, so <laughs> um, so, but I could
0: accomplish the same thing by just mounting a tablet in my kitchen, right? Yeah, I suppose. Seems like the mm-hmm. actual, the harder part is actually being really good about keeping your calendar up to date. <laughs> that seems like the actual well, trickier part. Google, but yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I'm getting better about putting things on my calendar. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you know where I put things on my calendar, Noah? Do you want to know how I hmm. do that? Up on my Google. own cloud droplet. That's right, over at DigitalOcean.com. I have gone to OwnCloud, and I think it rocks. Go over to DigitalOcean and check them out. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. And I say that like almost instinctively now, but it is really legitimately true. And I think it's worth underscoring because when that, when DigitalOcean removes the friction of setting something up like they have, and what that is is spinning up your own virtual server that you have root access to up in the cloud with an HTML5 console. They've removed the difficulty in doing that thing. That's incredible. That's closing that gap and making it possible that when you need to launch your own server, when you need to expand your infrastructure, when you need to scale on demand, when you need to try something, when you want to put a container up in the cloud, you can go to DigitalOcean and you can do it for an incredible value. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. So it's not going to be a huge time investment. That's huge. And I don't know. Maybe I feel like I shouldn't I, honestly, they could, probably, they could probably say five minutes, and I'd still be impressed with that, but no, it's 55 seconds. It starts at only $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer that's dedicated to you. You're not going to get surprised by a bandwidth bill. It's just a terabyte of transfer. And DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London... <clears throat> And a really nice brand new one in Germany that's in an ideal location so that way you can really provide great access to all the locations around Germany as well. But what I love about DigitalOcean is they've wrapped all of this Linux and KVM and all of this great technology around this incredible interface. DigitalOcean's interface is very, very intuitive, and power users can replicate the interface on a larger scale with DigitalOcean's amazing API. <clears throat> they recently revved it and uh, even before they had revved it it's it's even better now but even before they had revved it and released the new version of the API I was getting notes from listeners saying you know there's just like all these really great things you could do with a DigitalOcean API you could integrate it in with your puppet management infrastructure and if you need to scale on demand and and deploy some servers you can plug it in with your Juju management system and you can do the same thing you can just drag those little charms onto a box and it will go deploy a droplet on DigitalOcean using the API I mean it's super slick right but those are all like super high end features that I never really needed They never really connected with me. Uh, But the notes that have been the most impactful for me are the ones that people are doing some clever stuff with Cron and that API. And there's a lot of libraries you can pull from to just kind of take advantage of some of this stuff for you. Also, if you're an Arch user, there's stuff already in the AUR. And if you're an Ubuntu user, there's some PPAs available for you to just give you some of these tools that people have created. And then you can do things like on updates, you can snapshot on the DigitalOcean droplet or take a time snapshot so that way you have here it was on a Monday, here it was on a Sunday or a Friday or whatever if you were doing something for during the week. All these little neat ideas that have really solved a lot of the fundamental data backup and disaster recovery solutions that used to really take a lot of creative engineering on the back end when you had an on-premises solution. And now with DigitalOcean's API and their built-in tools, taking those snapshots, making those templates, having those systems set up like that is a no-brainer. And there's so much code out there already written by the community that you really don't have to be a whiz to take advantage of it. And there's a ton of great apps like uh, last night I I was playing around with a DigitalOcean uh, app on my Android device, just messing around with stuff. It's it's really great because I feel like I can fully manage my infrastructure anywhere I need to be, using either the really simple tools on their on their web, or much straighter for or much you know much more in depth control uh, with the API. So go over to DigitalOcean, check them out. It really is an incredible service. Noah and I have tons of droplets because we love them, and you can get a $10 promo code when you use the code LAS Digital. Apply that to your account, $10 at credits. Try out that $5 rig two months for free. Or get a higher-end rig. Their pricing plans are really straightforward. I dig this about DigitalOcean because so most of my droplets I get away at $5 a month because Linux has incredible memory management. And when you put that on top of SSDs, it's amazing what you get for $5 a month. Uh, and then recently when I decided to deploy a Minecraft server for uh, my uh, son and my wife, and now my daughter, uh, uh, it turns out that... I just looked at their pricing plan and said, you know what? I'll do $20 a month. I get two gigabytes of RAM, a, tw- a two-core processor, 40 gigabytes of storage space, and three freaking terabytes of transfer. I can also re- I can resize these on demand as I want. And then, you know, that's great for me. Uh, but my co-host on Coda Radio, he'll use it for testing with his clients. So he'll often just use the hourly pricing. And look at that. You click that little toggle, and now all of DigitalOcean's pricing structure has changed to hourly. That is so, you can rent your own crazy powerful Linux rig up in the cloud for, for, I mean, for pennies. Pennies. And they also have high volume plans available. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code LastDigital. Go check out the tutorials to really take it to the next level. They're a really great service. They're, they're, that, they're, they're kicking so much butt with this. LastDigital, you can get in for, for free for two months. Big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Noah, one of our favorite tools this week saw a pretty great mm-hmm. update, and you and I were digging around in our, p- our previous picks and realized it has never gotten a spotlight, never gotten, never made the app pick. It is mm-hmm. essentially gone, rather unmentioned on the show, except for in passing. We, my friend, must right this wrong today. And not a better time to do it than with a brand new version of Wireshark. So that is our desktop app pick this week. It's a kind of a high-end tool. You've probably heard of it before because it's frickin' famous. But if you're not familiar with Wireshark, it's truly one of the best packet sniffers that technicians could ever have. I mean, there were other mm-hmm. tools out there. Uh, I don't even remember what Wireshark was called anymore before Wireshark. Do you remember the old name that it used to have? No. Ethereal, right? Is that Ethereal? Was that what it was? yeah. Anyways, you must have used Wireshark in troubleshooting things, right, Noah? Oh, many
1: times. Yeah, but. yeah. Actually, so I'll I'll go through this. So I have I have like this PTSD thing with Wireshark, and that is every time I introduce, every time we hire a technician and we tell them about Wireshark and packet sniffing. Um, One of the first things that comes up is they go home and they try and snip their network and they realize they don't see any traffic. And and so to avoid all the feedback, if you don't mind, I'll take 30 seconds and just explain. So essentially, if you take a a six-way power plug and I plugged it into an outlet and I plug uh, five different devices in there, I am sharing that outlet with those five devices. And so they're all physically connected with a piece of copper. And that's kind of how a hub works. But a switch is a little bit different in that when you have a switch, which... Undoubtedly, in, in 2015, if, you, if you're if you buying uh, hardware to connect uh, multiple computers together, you're probably using a switch. And the way that a switch <laughs> yeah. works is Hopefully. it's only sending information out uh, to a specific switch port. So yeah. if I am on switch port 1 and I send a packet that is destined for the MAC address that exists on switch port 2, only switch port 2 is going to see that traffic. And the only way to get around that is to have you know, a more expensive switch, like a managed switch, where I can mirror all the ports or, of course, I can plug a hub in between those two computers. But if you try and open up Wireshark right now on your home network, you're probably not going to be able to sniff any traffic right. unless you have a switch that's capable of doing it. And then, of or, course, because, or, because I know that everyone's going to say this, there is ways that you can flood the switch and crash oh. it, and so it essentially oh, yeah, turns into so. a hub.
0: Or actually, if you just, uh, it depends on your wireless adapter. Some of them are not so capable of it. But wireless networks, by default, are essentially set up like a hub, they're a broadcast domain. Right. So you can sniff wireless pretty well with Wireshark. Yeah, right,
1: right. Uh, uh, But uh, there's a a couple people that will open it up, and then it won't work, and then they'll wonder why.
0: It works. One of the things that's great about Wireshark, too, is that it's available in GTK or QT. I always pretty much have used the GTK interface, except for uh, with this most recent version. And uh, so I talk about a couple things that are, are new. Uh, tons and tons of bug bug fixes. A lot of stuff for wireless, specifically. Um, but also some fixes for X11 memory leaks. So if you're a Linux user and you've been using Wireshark, this new, uh, I think it's uh, 1.12.5 has just come out. It's definitely worth upgrading because if you use Wireshark for a while and you notice the UI starts to lag out, it turns out it's, its effect, Wireshark itself doesn't have the memory leak. But a bug in Wireshark caused a memory leak to occur in X. Hmm. So it's kind of worth replacing this version because it does lead your whole X server to slow down after a while. Uh, So anyways, um, congratulations to uh, the Wireshark folks for another really awesome tool. It has been one that has been exceedingly useful in troubleshooting. uh, And it's on a switch. It can be exceptionally powerful if you have a managed switch and you can turn on what's called a mirrored Mm -hmm. port. And this mirrored port will send all of the traffic from all of the ports to this one port. You put a Wireshark machine on that. You yep. can see everything. You see, it's, it's too deal. late. You can see everything. You can see everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's great for troubleshooting. It's great to see what s- somebody's spamming. Uh, and it's also very enlightening to see what the heck is actually transmitted in clear text. You hear all this, all these times, yeah. like, make sure that when you connect your email server, you're connecting over SSL. Make sure when you log in, it's over SSH and not Telnet. Well, if you run Wireshark, you'll see why. Because you can literally mm-hmm. see the text you're typing. When you're going just to an HTTP website and it's not HTTPS, you can read the HTML text <coughs> in Wireshark mm-hmm. in the password capture, and you can reassemble the web pages in real time if you have the right tools. It's very fancy. So, uh, it's well, Wireshark.org.
1: And yeah, the reality is, too, is you could uh, what what you that for that to, to demonstrate that you actually don't need a managed switch. Um, you can run Wireshark on your own machine, and then you can go visit a website and and not use SSL. Or my favorite is to use FTP. Right? Everyone, everyone, <laughs> hmm. everyone is shocked at how quickly you can obtain the password just by running Wireshark. But if you do that, you'll see it because it, it, it's it's you'll get your
0: own traffic. Yeah, that's that's good enough. And then you, mm-hmm. you know, you'll know for sure that is actually the password because it's your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All yeah. right. So in the same vein, the spotlight this week is another great application that is truly a power user's application. If you like to torrent apps, Noah, you'll you know there's a million different ways to torrent stuff under Linux. What's your preferred torrent? Right. You have kind of a fancy setup, don't you? Tran- oh, well, what I do is I, I, I use like transmission with. The-
1: Right, yeah, yeah. So transmission has the ability to enable a web service, and so essentially mm-hmm. when I want to when I want to download a torrent, and it bothers me that, that the the word torrent has become synonymous with Pirate. illegal downloading. Yeah. Torrents are the most effective way to transfer data, well, maybe not the most effective way, but a much more efficient way to transfer data from one place to another rather than using like an HTTP download. Well, um, And so yeah. what I have is I have essentially a torrent server that is set up, and I drop the torrent link into my I visit, the, I go to my torrent server web page, uh-huh. I drop the torrent link in there. Yeah. The torrent server downloads it on our huge uh, connection here at the office and then I just, it
0: SCPs it to my cool. uh, box, my file nice server setup. at my house. That's a nice setup. Uh, mm-hmm. So, And you're using the web component of transmission to do that. I've used that before. It's right. mm-hmm. it's okay. It works. Yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I did a little like m- extent on KDE and was, you know, really kind of trying to replace all of my tried and true GT- GTK applications with Qt applications or alternatives, I gave up on Transmission and I switched to a program called qBitTorrent. Uh, and qBitTorrent, I was blown away with the power and functionality and feature set of this. I thought I knew q, I thought I knew BitTorrent applications. No, not only does Qt BitTorrent have great performance, so unlike that one like Azur or whatever it is, that Java-based one that has a lot of features, it gets crazy slow. Not a problem with qBitTorrent. Um, it has great code. It also offers a web UI, much like Transmission does it has fantastic filtering for rss if you want to do rss based uh, like episode downloading like you know we ha- we make all of our shows available on bitlove uh, with RSS. It has pre-tracker and re-announce, and, uh, which is very nice for catching files that get popular really quick. It's now been rebuilt using QT5. The UI web code has been completely rewritten. So is the episode filtering. It also now has options to automatically hibernate and shut down the computer. Not a big feature, but one that hasn't been there. Uh, and the the one of the things I really love about it here, I have it installed right here, is not so much all of its incredible features for downloading and managing your torrent downloads. That's you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of really nice tools out there for doing that. Now, what I really love about uh, uh, QBitTorrent is its ability to create torrents. And it is, has such a good tool in front end. Now, I actually don't even, I haven't used it in so long. But, like, for example, it was one of the first Linux uh, BitTorrent clients that supported when you create a torrent to support web seeds. That's more common now. But web seeds are what, in my opinion, make torrents really possible. And the concept of a web seed very much is you can put out a torrent file, and the torrent standard supports this. You can put a torrent file out there that says, if nobody else is seeding this torrent file, then start downloading it from this HTTP location. As you download it from this HTTP location and other users come in on the swarm, you can begin seeding yourself from what you've pulled down using that seed. And then so you seed the swarm from an HTTP file. So... For example, when the first episode of the Linux Action Show comes out today over torrent, there's going to be one person that has to download that before anybody else has, right? That person will get it at the full speed of our CDN, even though they're using a torrent file. Then they'll pull down that full file, whatever their connection can take it at, and then begin seeding it to the swarm so other people can take it from there. QbitTorrent was one of the first clients under Linux to ever support this feature and to get it right so I have a real super soft spot for the uh, for this application and uh, it is very very good and even though I have a gtk based desktop now it still works very well for me have you ever tried it no no, no, I haven't. But I, uh, I once,
1: once you added it to the show notes, I, I, was reading into it, and I actually installed it on my machine at home. But uh, between Friday and now, I actually haven't had a chance to. I've had nothing that I've needed to torrent. That's actually not true. I d- torrented one thing, but it was on my laptop at a client location. So
0: it's very simple. Um, they've but it cleaned will be. up. I'll be checking it out. I- I'm really kind of crazy impressed with how much they've cleaned up the, uh, the UI. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be way more complicated than this uh a lot more complicated than this so it's still got it seems like it has a lot of the power but uh, a little bit easier to use too and you know what i bet they just did that in the transition to qt5 they probably decided to take care of all that stuff it's pretty nice so two really really great power user apps that uh, we haven't talked about much on the show but uh, hopefully a little make good there on that and you guys can go check them out don't forget all of our previous picks are at jupiterbroadcasting.com/what slash what is it last picks noah Mm-hmm. Yeah, JupiterBroadcasting dot com slash last picks to uh, get all of that and uh, Meetup dot slash Jupiter Broadcasting is probably too late, but I'll just give a plug for it really quick tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, Monday May eighteenth, uh, Michael Dominic is on the East Coast and he's going to be at uh, MS Build in New York, and he's going to do a meetup there. And you can join if you want at meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting or just go there for future meetups. We'll probably have one very soon. And as we do other events in different areas, we'll do meetups in those areas. But Mr. Dominic is throwing one uh, together at the uh, Microsoft Build Conference in New York on Monday, May 18th. If you're going to be there or just in the area and want to meet up, you can get details. Meetup.com slash jupiterbroadcasting happening tomorrow morning. So super late notice, but this is kind of the way the show schedule worked out. Could be pretty cool And then I'll, I guess I'll probably So if he's doing that Monday morning I'll probably talk to him Just a little bit after he's done Because uh, Coda Radio is 3pm yep. East Coast time So I'll get a fresh report And uh, he's going to be keeping his eye out for all the Linuxy stuff he's, I, I've sent him in with a few things I'll just say I'll get, I sent him a secret mission I don't want to blow it But we'll have a full report on Coda Radio Alright Noah with the pics all done Let's do the news <laughs> Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com That'll support the Linux Action Show and give you a $25 service credit or $25 off your first device. I mentioned the service credit first now because Ting has a huge selection of GSM or CDMA devices you can bring over. They've got two giant networks now, so there's a good chance you have a compatible device today. You can go to last.ting.com, and they have a bring-your-own-device page that'll uh, kind of give you a good direction. But if you want a brand-new device, and I don't blame you, sometimes it feels good to start fresh. Plus, when you buy a phone from Ting, it's unlocked. You own it outright. It's just done. You know, that's kind of nice. So it'll give you $25 off your first device when you go to last.ting.com. What, what, wait, what is Ting? Well, Ting is the mobile service that pretty much all the hosts at Jupiter Broadcasting use, at least the ones that live in the U.S. Uh, it's It's only pay for what you use mobile. Right there. Simple and straightforward. It's $6 just for the phone line. So for me, I have three phone lines because that's still cheaper than like one of the traditional carriers' single line. And then you just pay for your usage, your minutes, your messages, your megabytes, and Ting just adds it all up. And that's what you pay at the end of the month. And one of the nice things about Ting is not only do they have the CDMA and GSM network for you to choose from, if you're a little technical at all, you understand there's a lot of benefits to having just that level of flexibility. Ting does it based on your your account, too. So instead of me paying by device, I sort of just have a general account, and I just share that pooled minutes amongst all my devices. So if one day I'm using the Nexus 5 pretty heavily and the next day we're using the iPhone because we want to take a good picture, well, then we don't have to really necessarily worry about charging all the minutes up on one phone and charging all the minutes up on the other phone. It's just a shared pool of minutes. And we turn on things like Hotspot and tethering if we need it, and Ting has no-hold customer service, so you can call them at one eight five five ting ftw anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern on the weekday. And a real human being answers the phone. And there's always 24-7 online support, which is really superb because they have a super savvy community. A lot of it's filled by listeners and viewers like you who are experimenting with things like Firefox OS or Galaxy S6s and all kinds of things on the Ting network. And Ting has a great range of devices from, you know, 40 50 bucks all the way up to the highest-end devices. So go to last.ting.com, check out the dashboard, try them out. You know, you could be like Noah too and just get yourself a, uh, like a pocket phone. You still have that pocket phone with you? I,
1: I do and, I, and that's what I was gonna add is not only can you, not only does ting have a wide selection of devices and Not only have they partnered with glide a service that will go find you the phone that you want Ship it to your house and and take care of that all that middle work So you don't have to go through something like eBay But they'll also support if you want to bring any unlocked GSM device So that opens up a whole range of possibilities now producer q5 sis uh, last week was mourning the death of palm OS and to do that <laughs> he broke out his original palm OS trio no. and ran, and he He's gonna run that for the next two. Now you, that may not be up your alley. That's awesome. But let me tell you, it's up mine because I. I am totally on board with uh, with Palm OS. I, I'd go back to it if I could. <laughs> um, and and so uh, and so he's going to run that for the next two weeks to, uh, to mourn the 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 end of Palm OS. And that's only possible because Ting is, is supports any
0: unlocked GSM device.
1: So yeah, it's They, nice, they huh? can't. They have no interest in stopping you. As long as using any device. No, as
0: long as it's unlocked and as long as it supports the right frequencies, you're probably going to be able to get it to work. You're depending on the device. Yep. It's going to be varying degrees of how much help you're going to have. You might just have to buy mm-hmm. the SIM and make it work. Like uh, Chase did that with uh, our buddy Chase from Unfilter, he set up some security Uh cameras around his house and just got, a, got two uh, TING two, uh, $9 GSM SIMs, popped them in each. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't have to call support. He didn't have to do anything like that. He just got them working. Right. And now he's got yeah. access to them 24-7, and he's only paying whenever they anytime they need to send data. So it's a really economical yeah. solution for any automated. It's kind of like, you know, set-it-and-forget-it yeah. system, like hooked up to a Pi or something like that. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to wrap it up because uh, we always like to have an app pick, and they have a new one. Kyra's here this week with something that I've never heard of before. I, I don't even know what it means. Let's find is out. Is your
3: phone not making it through the day? I'm Kyron, this is the Ting App of the Week. Go okay. Profiler identifies apps that take a toll on the power and performance of your smartphone, so you can take action. Hmm. There's some very deep and advanced options you can dig into, or you can just keep it simple. Uncover top offenders on your phone using the presets on the main page. I like this. Tap a category and it will run in the background. Trepin Profiler will begin to work its magic and sort the apps based on their usage from greatest to least, making it easy to identify any culprits on your phone. Depending on what you discover, you may want to keep an eye on an app, disable background data syncing, or even uninstall it entirely. For power users, this app does a lot more than just what we're showing here today. If you're an Android expert, go ahead and dig in, and you'll uncover some interesting insights and Profiler is available for Android devices and includes some extra features if your phone runs on a Snapdragon processor. Oh! Thanks for watching. Be sure to hit subscribe for more weekly app reviews, Ting tips, unboxings, and much more.
0: Last.ting.com and that's, the spelling on that's a little funny, it's T R E. profiler, And uh, what she was teasing there about the Qualicom processors, uh, Qualicom has some really smart power management stuff built into their latest generation of CPUs. And if you have software in Android to take advantage of that, it can offer you a power savings advantage that no other CPU can touch yet. Even the nice ones like in the S6, um, at least one-to-one ratio. So that definitely seems like a good app to check out if you're having some battery life issues on your Android device, T-R-E-P-N. I have no idea what that means. Do you have any idea what that means? Kyra asked. I don't know. Uh, All right. Noah, our first story this week has me pretty upset. It has me upset because I feel like I've been taken advantage of as a consumer. It has me upset because Mm -hmm. I feel like people haven't lived up to their commitments. It has me upset because I feel like people are misled to raise funds for this company. And it has me upset because this company now has a great deal of funding, and it should be in the position out of anyone to actually deliver on their commitments. If you don't know what I'm talking about yet from the hints, I'm talking about the fact that Oculus has announced they're suspending development, at least for the time being, for Linux and the Macintosh. Oculus has said that they just don't have time to focus on it right now, and they want to get a product to market. Yeah, so sorry for us Linux fans. The Facebook-owned Oculus Rift, the headset that perhaps more than any other device has ignited public interest in virtual reality, is going to be exclusive to Windows PCs at launch. Now, they go on to say, look, it's complicated. To make the Oculus work, you have to hook it up to your HDMI port and two USB ports, there's some Macs that don't even have two USB ports. And and honestly, HDMI video out is so darn hard under Linux that we just don't have time to work on it. So we're going to completely avoid it. <clears throat> now... I will get into how I believe this so beautifully demonstrates the differences between a company that truly gets it, like Valve, and a company that always fails to miss the mark, ones that are run by Carmack. But before we get into that, actually, why don't we start with John Carmack himself, who joined Oculus not too long ago, who's had a long-time position on Linux. Here's a clip from him in 2012.
2: Linux is an issue that's taken a lot more Uh, currency with Valve announcing Steam for Linux. This would be
0: right after Valve's announcement in 2012 and Carmack responding to it up on stage for really one of the first times he said anything publicly about it.
2: That does change factors, you know, it changes things a bit, but we have, we've made two forays into the Linux commercial market, uh, most recently with the Quake Live client, and, you know, that platform just hasn't carried its weight compared to the Mac on there. It just, it's, great that people are enthusiastic about it but there's just not nearly as many people that are interested in paying for a game on the platform Um, and that just seems to be the reality
0: And and in fact one of the reasons why we have gone to great lengths to point out the profits on the humble bundle sales is to have because we now have to respond to this myth that men like John Carmack have put out there for years that Linux users won't pay for software even though when you publicly make the sales stats available Perhaps the Mm -hmm. volume is lower, but in terms of paying for software, that happens. Uh,
2: Valve will probably pull a bunch more people there. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about any Valve plans for console Steambox stuff on there. I could speculate without uh, without violating anything. Uh, One thing that is that also speaks to the favor of Linux and potential open source things is that the integrated graphics parts are getting better and better, and they really are good enough now. Intel's latest integrated graphics parts are good. The drivers still have issues. Uh, they're still certainly not going to you know, blow away somebody's top-of-the-line SLI system, but they are uh, completely competent parts that are delivering pretty good performance. And one of the wonderful things is that Intel has been I will right, we'll
0: stop there. You can, it's faint praise right there. <clears throat> I think this has been a long time coming. I think this has been coming, uh, honestly, since before Facebook. I I would not be surprised if Facebook had very little to do with this other than the bean counters also agreed it would be a good decision. I think what you see here is Oculus sees a market potential to be first to market. And and they see competition coming from Samsung. They see competition coming from HTC and Valve. And they want to be the ones out there first because they think they got something really great. And John Carmack thinks he's God's gift to humanity to bring virtual reality to us all. And if they have to crack a few eggs and screw over a few original backers who backed specifically because they had Linux support. And people like me who not only backed the Kickstarter but then also purchased the the, the second version of the development unit and then had to wait months for Linux support even though you can screw over people like that because they they wanna get first to market. And then you look at companies like Valve who are working with HTC to create a VR headset. Valve, they look at this same problem, and when they decide they wanted to make a product based on Linux, they didn't chicken shit out once they thought it was going to get hard. What they decided to do is work directly with the community and create SteamOS and improve Linux at the base level, improve things like the controller input at the kernel level so that it's improved throughout Linux, improve things like the graphics drivers, work with OEMs to fix that stuff at a fundamental level so that way they can base a long-term successful product off of a free operating system. See, that's long-term visionary thinking, and that's the difference mm-hmm. between Valve and Oculus and John Carmack. John Carmack thinks he's a visionary, but he doesn't actually see the very, very big picture. If you go out and you make a product for a dying platform like Windows, you're going to make a very cute, adorable product. And it will get you some places that will probably be used in medical fields, and Facebook can probably push it very far. But if you have a product that can be integrated at the console level, that the gaming industry is behind, that people can support, that the community is behind, that could actually fundamentally change gaming forever. VR is a big deal if we don't screw it up. And the HD Vive is supposed to be quite, quite, quite good perhaps even better than the oculus rift so i say good riddance to you you never got it right anyways noah what say you yeah, okay,
1: so let's start with this. What year is it? 2015. In 2015, let's look at some of the other projects that that have similar ideas. They're, they're, they're funded, and, and we're off to get uh, development started, and, and you want to get people that, that know about the technology and that uh, that can craft ideas and write software and stuff like that. Look at things like the Raspberry Pi. Look at things like the Intel Middle Board. Look at things like that little computer we covered last week that's under $10. All of those devices are running Linux, and why is that? That is because, well, for one, the license fee if you were to try and run windows on a lot of these embedded devices that you know, just it, that kind of defeats the cost effectiveness of it but the reality is the people that want to play with stuff the people that want to put a headset on that may or may not work and and play it with a game that may or may not work and try to understand why they're experiencing delay or problems mm-hmm. those are the kind of people those people they're not running windows they're right. not running mac well, because those people want their apple care to work
0: and let's let's break down the decision that oculus is now making their primary platform for delivering their vision of the future of gaming and communications and shopping and all of this. this. is what John Carmack has said. This is what Oculus has said. This is what Oculus presents. This is why mm-hmm. Facebook bought them. This incredible product of the future depends on a platform that, A, has a better past than it does future. But, B, more importantly, mm-hmm. the primary creator of that platform, you might have heard of them before. They're called Microsoft is building mm-hmm. a competing product called Holosense and has a pe- competing right. product called Connect. They are mm-hmm. in hostile territory. They're, they're, where they're landing, their beachhead to introduce this product to the market is in hostile territory, claimed by the right. people that already own that land. So enjoy that. Right. This is how short-sighted they are. And I, mm-hmm. I what I come back to, they've now burned the community on several times and 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 Mm -hmm. and despite the millions of dollars they've raised despite the billions of funding despite the phds Mm -hmm. and john carmack and the time they partnered with valve despite all of that despite the fact that i have seen them at pax demoing their product for the last four years in a row despite all of that they still 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 have failed to get a product to the market and now Mm -hmm. now that they're getting close to getting that product to the market they can't even deliver on what they've promised it's so pathetic and it's so sucks that it's the linux user that get burned every single time because honestly, uh, they're just a bunch of neckbeards anyways. Who gives a shit?
1: Right, but let's the shame on us if we forget about it because in five years when they look back and say, you know what, um, they they come and sit down at our booth and say, hey guys, uh, you know we just wanted to give an interview because now we're interested in Linux because that's where the money is and it, it looks like uh, Microsoft wasn't uh, a real great place to bank on. And look, we brought cupcakes. If, if at that <laughs> point the entire chat room erupts into, well, you're not giving uh, you're not giving Oculus enough of a chance. you I mean, the only command we have over the market as consumers is. Is, is just that, is to choose not to support those companies yeah. that screwed us over. So let's not forget in three or four or five years, let's not have short-term memory, let's not have amnesia and say, well, you know, a couple years ago when they when they made that decision, to decided mm-hmm. to screw everyone over that we weren't important enough, because that's what they're telling you. Right. If you're a Linux user, yeah. if you have Linux on your desktop, yeah. they're saying you don't matter. Yeah. They don't care about you, and yeah. they could care less if you could right. use their product. I'm, so remember that in five years when they want to come back. I'm actually
0: because kind it's going to happen. I'm kind of glad that they've done this. I'm glad that they didn't sort of keep stringing Linux users along, because Like, Mm -hmm. you know... They could have gotten to a really strong market position and then pulled the rug out. At least now they've showed mm-hmm. their true colors when they're still infantile and they're impotent and haven't delivered anything. So now we right. actually know, OK, this, even though they've really started the conversation here, they're actually a company that's packed with a bunch of old bureaucrats that think in the 90s and the 80s. And they don't actually mm-hmm. know the new modern world that's happened post you know 2000 mm-hmm. and something. And so maybe it's a good thing that we're not putting them in the position of being responsible for the future of interacting with our computing platform. Maybe that's a good thing, because mm-hmm. they obviously aren't equipped to handle it anyways. So now that they've sort of played their cards before they've gotten to a power of posi- uh, position of power, we as consumers can instead choose to invest our things in like HTC Vive, open source products, right. even Google Cardboard for all I care. Mm-hmm. And if, and, and yeah, if you wonder why I'm so passionate, um, I've tried it. Okay, I've tried the first version of Oculus. I've tried the second version of Oculus. Um, and, and to me... I think there's three or four technologies I've used in my life where the moment I tried it, I went from I don't get this to, oh, my God, this is going to change everyone's life. Yeah. And it's, I don't yeah. often make that claim about technology. And when I put that Oculus right. headset on and I was transported to a raft in the middle of the ocean and, yeah. and I could look around and walk around and it was connected to my Linux box, I had a moment. And I said, I would really love to see this take off, and I would be willing, in exchange for that, to even let Facebook be the people that bring it to us. It is that important of a technology, and now Mm -hmm. I'm glad they've played this hand because now I realize that was a mistake, and I'm I'm not willing to make that sacrifice.
1: So now we know. As as, As long as we users aren't stupid, they can only play that card once. Right. And now they've now they've burned us and as long as we as long as we stick by that. But do you know what? Who wants a who wants a headset that I can't use? I mean if, if 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 a headset comes to market that is truly that is truly open and, and so for example, maybe manufactured by or HTC H T C that worked with Valve, I can use that headset on my Steambox, I can use that headset on my laptop, I can use that headset on my, my gaming yep. rig downstairs. Yep. Why would I want the Oculus that only works on, on, on one device? That doesn't even make sense.
0: The more you know so, the more you know. Yeah. All right, moving on. Obviously, it's just it's it's disappointing to see uh, Linux users get milked and then dumped. Um, but <coughs> mm-hmm. you know what? We're used to it. That's the last company that John Carmack's at that gets my money. All right. So let's talk about vulnerabilities that uh, have cropped up in Linux. Let's start with the big one this week, uh, Venom. Uh, if you've watched TechSnap, we did a major, 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 major analysis of Venom. It's totally a, it's it's Alan at his best. Um, so you know, we've been talking about Venom this week. It's not a it's not one of these. that's probably going to affect a lot of our listeners. It's a vulnerability in virtualizers like uh, QMU, Xen, KVM, and VirtualBox. And uh, it's a vulnerability in the floppy disk controller code. And even if you have the floppy disk controller turned off on your virtual machine, it turns out an attacker, if they could get access to your machine, so they have to get access to your machine. But if they get access to your machine, they can cause essentially like a, a buffer, under or overflow or whatever the hell it is in the floppy controller code. Then they can compromise the virtual machine and then spread to all the other virtual machines on the host. So it's a pretty significant flaw for those people that have large KVMs and QMU or VirtualBox installations. It's nasty because it allows you to break out of the virtual machine. So that's Venom. It's got itself a logo. It's super scary. Everybody's talking about it. Big panic. The other thing that came out this week is uh, I guess a couple of remote packet of death vulnerabilities. And not just a couple, but four. Now, the packet of death vulnerabilities are a little scary because that means it really just takes a network packet to, to to screw your machine up. Uh attackers could send specifically crafted packets to a machine using ozwpan kernel driver over the network and cause some issues. Don Field explained this is the guy that found it in a public announcement that the ozwpan driver uh which I guess is probably a, a network I'm guessing a wireless network driver uh accepts network packets, parses them, and then converts them into various USB functionality. There are numerous security vulnerabilities in handling of these packets. So you can send USB commands by simply sending network packets to this network card. Now, you've got to have this network card. But in the, in the network packet, you could, you could put USB commands in that thing. Uh, and one of them, like divide by zero, causes all kinds of issues. Uh, and so the proof of concept code has already been published uh, for making these packet, remote packets of death a possibility. You probably have to be on the land to fully take advantage of it. Uh, these new driver vulnerabilities can be found in the mailing list post that we'll have linked in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> this kind of stuff's great, Noah. You got, in one week, you've got Venom, and now you've got remote packets of death. It's just been a hard week for so- security. So
1: I'm I'm a little more concerned about Venom than I am this uh, sure. this uh, this kernel thing, and the reason is is because uh, the way I understand it is this uh, this kernel problem actually exists in the in the wireless land driver. Is that right? For uh, the uh, Venom issue?
0: No, no it's no, no, in no, the for the OC Oh yeah, yeah, for the OZ. Yeah, it's just you have to have that wireless card. So it's much more. Whereas Venom is pretty much anybody that right. has this virtualizer. So, and and so, hypervisor. and the
1: reality is, is where I would highly be concerned about security, or where I would really care, is Data on and... on uh, yeah, right, right, it, the production machines, and all those are hardwired. Um, and so I, I, I guess I, I
0: this it, it, is more going to affect suck. laptops. Yeah, this, this, yeah, So we right. have the Venom affects servers. This, this pack, these random four pack, different types of four pack attacks mm-hmm. affect laptops mostly, and things like that. So we right. have two different types of, uh, but both of them are very low level, happening way, way down. And what's interesting about right. Venom is Venom, the reason why Venom affects QMU, Zen, mm-hmm. KVM, and VirtualBox is because they wrote the code like a decade ago for QMU. Mm-hmm. And then everybody, because right. it's open source, has just been copying and pasting that floppy controller code to all the different open source virtualizers. So they all mm-hmm. have the same problem. And, the, and right. this is a case where VMware, Hyper-V, uh, Beehive... They don't have this problem. It's a little embarrassing, a little bit. So, so, so like Heartbleed and Venom are specifically just the open source guys. So it's a little right. like, uh, you know, uh,
1: yeah. But I mean, so the other the the flip side of that is, at least when a vulnerability comes to light, we fix it. We don't publish it uh, to to a list to the government and have and let them exploit it. Right? <laughs> at least something is going to get done about it. Yeah. So. Does it suck? Yeah, but is it getting it get fixed? Yes. Here's and, what I worry and here's about. Here's the other side of it too: is we only fix it once and then we replicate the I changes agree. to
0: everything along. So. That's that's you being rational, and that's 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 adorable. What I worry about is the ira- unrational, the, the disrational, di- irrational public. You know, Irration. you hear these open source problems over and over again, and they're getting branded with logos. I just get a little worried. I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I put it yeah. out there. You know what makes me feel better? A brand new Ubuntu phone. I, I don't know how you say this one. Muez? Minez? Have, have we ever gotten the pronunciation right for this? No, never. Well, we've show, talked actually. about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's the MX4 Ubuntu Edition. It's gone on sale in China this weekend. It's a 5.2-inch smartphone powered by an 8-core MediaTek 2 gigahertz processor, 2 gigabytes of RAM. At least I think it's 2 gigahertz processor. And 16 gigabytes of storage, which means you'll probably have between 5 and 8 gigabytes, I think, to play with. I'm not quite sure. Uh, so it's going to be sold in Europe soon, China right now for developers. Thoughts? So, well, so I am interested to see where
1: Ubuntu phone takes off. As you know, as I've said numerous times, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later in the feedback. I am unhappy with where the mobile platform is and has been for quite some time. It doesn't suit me, and I'm hoping that I can at least alleviate some of those concerns uh, with Ubuntu Touch. So far, I haven't seen it. So far, it's not for me. It, it seems like, I feel like... Every time I sit down to use it, I feel like I'm just using a less capable Android device. That's what it feels like to me. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily fact, or that it's not right for some people. Right.
0: I just don't think right now it's scratching an itch well, that I, I have. It's funny you say that, because when I saw this one on sale, and it's not available in the U.S., it's mm-hmm. not even available in Europe yet, it'll be, I guess a separate device is coming to the U.S. and not this one. I thought it was going to be this one eventually making it to the U.S., but it won't be. When I saw this, though, and I thought maybe this was going to be the one that makes it here, I thought, okay, if this comes in, like, June, am I going to buy it? Am I ready to spend money on this? And, you know, the thing is, Noah, is I'm not sure I am. And I I really am so happy this project exists. Really, I'm really yeah. glad there's alternatives to Android. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't... Yeah, because it drives just, everything else to be better. I just don't know if I see the need just yet... I'm waiting to find a pretty compelling package, maybe a pretty good phone hardware, and maybe the software's mm-hmm. gotten a few revs. So I'm totally still willing to, to to accept it. But when the question came up today, am I ready to buy it today? I think my answer was no. It's not for me yet. Still, is, even though I'm really excited so, about it.
1: Well, I guess here, so. Here's my thought, and and please, nobody say compile it from source. That, that just is not an acceptable answer to me on my phone. What can I run Telegram on this? Am I going to be able to? Yes. Is there a Telegram app? There for, is a Telegram okay. app. Is okay. All right. Is there a Spotify
0: app? No. I don't think so, but then maybe there's is a there Spotify a web play? player, I mean, right?
1: <gasps> yeah, I guess. I, but at that point, then what? What's the advantage of this over like the Firefox phone? If I just wanted to, if I wanted to run everything in a web browser, that's what Firefox OS is for, and it does it very well, in fact. <laughs> So and and I can buy it for thirty nine dollars and it runs very well for thirty nine dollars. So I just I have such a hard time. I want to be excited about the Ubuntu phone. I want to want an Ubuntu phone because I want to use actual Linux on my phone. And then I think what you're responding to, to. I
0: think you feel you're feeling guilty. But this phone, yeah. There's a re- no, but there's a reason why they're selling it in China to developers. It's that's the market. It's not for you, right? It's not. It's. Yeah, literally, okay. literally like it's not for you and I, but it's okay. fine. I can accept that. I know, I can you know what it is, that is you and I want it to be for us. We want yeah. to be excited by it. Right. And, right. and not only do we want it to be for us, but we want to be like, you know, that Ubuntu desktop's been kind of neglected, but it's been totally worth it because now we have this awesome phone. You know, finally, yeah. it's been yeah. totally worth it. And it's it's just not there yet for us. It's not worth it. For that's us part yet. of there's no payoff that's part of for it. Us
1: that's part of it and the other thing is i walk around in a constant state and i, I it just it comes out of my mouth i don't even think about it. it 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 happens so often where i say something along the lines of i'm sick of android i wish i could just get linux on a phone and then the very next comment is followed with somebody saying well they have ubuntu for the phone why don't you get ubuntu on the phone and so I want that to be the answer to, to what I'm looking for. And like I said, I think we're going to get into it, the feedback, but I've kind of gone a different direction. My and I'm, I think I'm pretty happy sense. with it.
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm, I would love to, if anybody out there picks one of these up, one of these MX4, my zoos, I would love mm-hmm. to get your take on it because it's not available to us yet. And it looks like a pretty decent phone. So I, I, this is where I, this is where the rubber starts to meet the road for me with Ubuntu Touch. I'm not super compelled when it's like on the Nexus 4 or it's on the BQ phone. Um, that would have been great in you know, a couple of years ago. but with the m x four seems like a pretty legit phone uh, with a pretty good screen, pretty good processor, it's a media tech, but it's a tool. it's a, it's a, they've customized it a bit. Um, so now now you're actually starting to get almost compelling there, and that's where maybe people will really start to make something out of it. I wanted to talk about something though that, I have not had a chance to play with it yet, so I'm a little apprehensive to cover it, but I'm so excited by the potential that I wanted to kind of put it out there and maybe see if anybody in the audience is using Document Server 3.0. Just put out by OnlyOffice. They've made it open source now. A couple of interesting things about this. This is like a Google Docs competitor. Uh, it, It has a server component that's available for Linux. You deploy it on your Linux server using a Docker container. So they're distributing their software via Docker, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and it's, it is a server component that offers web-based with a modern flat UI, spreadsheets, text, presentation editors. It supports OpenXML. Uh, it supports DocX, SL, XLS, PPTX. And you can do collaborative editing in real time. And they've just made it available for free under Linux via a Docker container. at onlyoffice.org, <clears throat> I do not know much about this. Uh, But I am fascinated that, A, they're distributing it via Docker as an image that you get from the Docker Hub. I think that's fascinating as a a way to deploy software. Here it is right here. Uh, And it looks like it's had uh, 1,338 deployments, and it's only been available for a couple of days, so it's picking up. Uh, But if anybody out there has tried this, and this could maybe help us replace Google Docs, I mean, I'm just thinking I could I could put this on a droplet. I could put Docker on a droplet, and I could throw this on there and say goodbye to Google Docs and be a totally happy camper, but. Um mm-hmm. I just don't know if it's legit or, or I've never even heard of OnlyOffice before. So, have you ever? Have you ever? Yeah. Are you looking at office stuff all the time? Have you heard of them?
1: I do. I do. And it, this is this is new on my radar. But the reality is, and, and I found this through through trial and error, is you could have a thousand people write in next week and say it's the most amazing thing in the world. Yeah. The only real way you're going to know try is if you install it, you try it, and then it either works or it doesn't work. For it you. almost that's kind looks too so good to be true. true. But,
0: it, it really mm-hmm. does. Uh, the UI is like. It's kind of modern-looking for Word, like it kind of yeah. looks like it's inspired by the newer versions of Office, but without going over the top. So it's got kind of the ribbon style without, it, but it's still a toolbar. It's like if ah, the ribbon never went okay, fully ribbon good, and stayed good. a toolbar. All right, it's nice. Yeah, if they
1: want to make it look like a ribbon, as long as I have a file menu and a freaking print button,
0: seriously. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know what you Monday. mean. I know what you mean. So anyways, that's pretty cool. And it's very nice that they just made it free and available for Linux. Could be a great way to get a free office for a, for a LAN or for a small business or just a home solution. And it says full compatibility with Microsoft and OpenOffice. It could be cool. It's only onlyoffice.org if you'd like to check that out. But Noah, that's all the news for this week. <laughs> The state of emulation on Linux is strong. Maybe it's overcompensation, but there is an incredible amount of selection. We're not really going to get so much into the games. I mean, we will talk about some games today, too, but I'd like to talk about some of the amazing creations the open source community has made around this. It really makes it a premier platform and might just be the perfect thing to get somebody to switch. Before we do that, though, I'd like to talk about the perfect thing to have them switch, to, And that's our segment sponsor, System76, creators of machines born to run Linux, truly trouble free Linux computers. That way, you get to have a great time playing with Linux, and you don't have to fight with your hardware. They got the new Meerkat over there that is slick. We have that in studio. We're going to be talking about that very soon. Of course, they have a great range of laptops to choose from based on the latest and greatest technology. And the truly great thing about buying a System76 rig is, for example, the computer you're watching this screen on right now, the one that I'm sitting here scrolling this screen on, is a Bonobo that is coming on its two or maybe even third year now, possibly, and I still find it to be an incredibly performant machine that is absolutely trouble free. System76 really builds these machines to last a long time with the intention of you running Linux, and you can go check them out right now—laptops, desktops, and even servers—at system76.com. Go get yourself the perfect Linux computer, and then tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. No, and I are long, long time customers of system76.com. Thanks, System76.
1: Yeah, when I was at scale, I had the wonderful opportunity to shake hands with some of the people at System76. and it, it was kind of amusing because, you know, I was telling him, I said, you know, I, I really like System76. I purchased a lot of machines. And I don't think he really took me seriously until he he opened up some sort of account thing and he was looking and goes, what's your name? I, I typed, he types it in and he goes, wow, you do order a lot of computers. I'm like, yeah, because, you know what, when I need to get something done and I need it to work on Linux, that's just kind of the natural play. I mean, who else is making machines that run natively on Linux? Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and that the have support. and the great part is is uh, they they have worked with the Linux community for so long now that it's it's sort of like the again like the difference between Valve and Oculus. Uh, uh, System seventy six truly gets it. They're they're in the trenches. Mm-hmm. They're working down at the code level. Uh, you know they're they're in with the Ubuntu community, and it really makes a difference. It, it that closes that gap. So I want to talk about why we decided to talk about emulation gaming under Linux today. Even though Noah's not a huge gamer, uh, something truly significant happened this week that really busted this topic into the forefront, Uh, a a big project that you've heard of, undoubtedly, and probably already thought was free software, uh, actually changed its license this week to go truly open source and free. Um, MAME is going open source to help become a learning tool for developers. The folks who maintain MAME, that's the Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator, are aiming to make the project completely open source in order to expand both its pool of supporters and help developers and historians look at games. So uh, MAME is really truly seen as the premier emulator for arcade games, and the volunteers who have done it have really just done an amazing job of giving us an opportunity to preserve some some true history and true art in the gaming industry. MAME, co- While MAME's code has always been freely available, the gotcha is... There's limitations on what you can use it for, and some, some big ones like commercial usage and, and uh, things like that. That It was essentially public code, but not free code. Uh, and so this is now where it's changing. Uh, MAME's engineer says that the license was put in place to deter misuse of MAME in illegal ways. But it also kept museums that charge entry fees from using MAME in their exhibits, or legal license owners from using MAME to release old games. This is a really huge deal, and there's something else we're going to pair this with at towards the end of this segment that's also free and totally legal, that's really totally going to unleash all this for you guys. So let's jump in right here. Um, and Noah, I, I threw this in here this morning, so I don't know if you had a chance to see this yet, because it just went live six hours ago. So perfect, perfect mm-hmm. timing. Uh, Devin over at Linux.org did a superb roundup of the best emulator, game emulators for Linux. And, of course, he starts with MAME, the classic. He talks about Dolphin and Stella and and some great ones like ZNES and SNEX and 9X for Super Nintendo emulation. Uh, a whole bunch that we're going to get into today. So there is more resources in the show notes that I encourage you to check out. And uh, a nice plug here for for Devin because I just was really, it's like, wow, the timing on that write-up was, was great. Um, so that was MAME's announcement was the number one reason we wanted to talk about this today. The number two thing, and this is, I think, what maybe pushed you over the edge, Noah, is mm-hmm. I was like, well, there's this there's this new DIY retro emulation console called like Laka or something. And it lets you turn a device into a full fledged arcade. And you're like, what? I'm like, yep. yeah, you could check it out. It's at Laka dot TV if you want to look at it. And you're like, hold on. This is a big deal. And you had a couple yep. of ideas on how to take advantage of this. So why don't you share that? Yeah.
1: So, so there's, so there's a couple different things. So one is the thing that blew me away was the ability that I can use this as an appliance-like device. So I can put this onto a Raspberry Pi and turn it into like a game console. Now, my brother-in-law. Um, I my I had my sister-in-law switch to Linux. Um and she was using Linux for like 3 4 years and then she fell back off Linux not because she wasn't happy with it or because it wasn't doing something for her, but because when she got married, uh my now brother-in-law, he knew Windows so she goes, "Well, he's Uh-oh. just around and he's, he's here to, <laughs> yeah. to help me." So I then so immediately, not missing a beat, I said, "Well, how do I get you to switch to Linux?" And he goes, "Well, here's the things I'm interested in. One of the things that he was interested in was Emulation gaming for like the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo 64. Um, And so I gave him a Raspberry Pi. And uh, and he put uh, this uh, the software on here to get so no. it actually acts like that is his Nintendo. Yeah. So I'm hoping within a couple weeks if that works out and he's like, yeah, this Linux thing is really cool. Maybe we can switch them both back yeah. to Linux.
0: So this here, and I know you actually wanted to, if you had, any, if you if you had anything you wanted to show, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Locky here. This is actually pretty cool. It's built on top of two things that the audience is probably familiar with. One is Open ELEC. We've talked about that kind of recently on the show, and the other is Retro Arch emulator. Uh, it, so it's it's able. Lock is able to emulate a large range of hardware so not only will it do the emulation of the software but it'll emulate the hardware it's free so that's one thing and it gives you a full screen UI to take advantage of the interface you can see here on the demo he's able to switch between the console games Game Boys and things like that now I wasn't able to uh, show I wasn't able to show it because it requires a resolution change but it's pretty slick and uh, you can download an image for it but you can also get it ready baked for a lot of different hardwares uh, so like if I go here you can say, get it. Oh, I guess I didn't even realize they made it available for Windows. But you say, go get it for Linux. They have images ready to go for the Raspberry Pi, the Qbox I, the Humming Board, the Odroid, the Raspberry Pi 2, the Banana Pi, the QE Board, and the QB Truck. Uh, I've got a Qbox I, and you just get this image and put it on an SD card. It's really kind of neat. And so, That's one thing to check out is if you want to just take over a device like a Raspberry Pi or something you have hooked up to your TV (laughs) and just have a whole retro arcade that you just drop the ROMs on and it's ready to go and it's super approachable by anybody, check out Laka.TV. It's kind of new. It's something you might not have had a chance to look uh, look at and we've been really impressed by it. And it's great, like Noah said, on the Pi. I have something else that I came across last night when I was digging around for – I'm trying to rectify something. There's a topic come up recently about like a unified game store that unifies Steam and good old games and all this other stuff. And when I heard that, I remember thinking, I think there's already a project out there that does this. Plus, I need something mm-hmm. that also helps me keep track of my Humble Bundle games and any things I've downloaded right. directly from developers, from their websites or open source mm-hmm. games that aren't necessarily my repos. So I've downloaded the binary like Xenotic. I usually just go download Xenotic directly from the website. I don't install it from the repo. And I I also have about 30 emulated games that I play, Super Nintendo, Sega games, and Nintendo 64 games that I I, I loosely like to keep track of. And I can't put those into Steam necessarily because they're just ROM files. Uh, so there's, a, there's an open-source gaming platform project out there called Lutris, L-U-T-R-I-S. And it allows you to gather and manage, install, configure, and launch your games from any source in a single interface. And it's GTK-based. It lets you manage your Linux games, Wine games, emulated console games, and browser-based games from one UI. You can launch Steam and Asura games from it. It's community-written. So, uh, for example... This is actually a really neat feature I was talking about on the pre-show. They have a games library on their website. And I can go in here and I can focus specifically just on Linux games. And when I click on one of these, it will download an installer script, launch Lutris, download this game, and install it for me. Now, not every game has an installer. So, like, Aliens vs. Predator doesn't have an installer available for Linux. So, see, here's the three options. I can do the Steam Windows version. I can do the good old games Wine version or the Linux native version. And I can click on install. It then asks if I want to launch Lutris. It fires up Lutris and says, actually, there's not an install script for this game. See, I knew that was going to happen because I tried this before the show. This, though, is a really cool error message. If you're watching the video version, read this error message. It says, unable to install game, no installer is available for this game. Here is your three options. Exit. All right, I'm just going to bail configure it manually, as in, like, give it the URL because you know what it is because you're not a dumbass, or write the installer. If you click write the installer, it takes you to their website, and you can become the author of the Linux install script. Now, isn't that genius? What a great way to involve Mm -hmm. your community directly. On the error message itself, you want to fix this problem? Here's the button. That Mm -hmm. is genius. I think that is super Mm -hmm. slick. So I wanted to show that to you guys because if you're ever going to have a failure, that, you know, talk about now. I've never – let's try it. Let's try uh, ah, ah for the Awesome, which is a pretty fun falling game if you've never tried it. And they have the Steam version, which would, this would launch Steam and install the script, and then it would add it to Lutris, which is pretty cool. So let me keep showing you Lutris because uh, it's, a, it's a pretty neat uh, li- game library. So this is my Lutris library right here. I have one, two, three, four, five games installed right now. I've opted to create an account, so I sync my game titles with the Lutris service and server. I can uh, I have... All different types of games here. I have native Linux games like BitTrip Runner and Gratuitous Space Battle that I downloaded from the Humble Bundle. I have Star Trek The 25th Anniversary which is a DOSBox game which will launch the game inside DOSBox which I downloaded directly from GOG.com and I'd like to show this to you, for example. This gives you some nice advantages. Like when I'm configuring a DOSBox game I can go here to System Options and I can make sure that it doesn't forcibly mode change my resolution. So instead of making my screen go 640 by 480, I can say, you know what? Keep my screen 1920 by 1080 when you launch this DOS box environment. Uh, There's other game time options and flags you can throw to it. You'll notice, too, that Lutris also tries to go out and get the cover art for the game. So here's Super Mario World. That's obviously a Super (coughs) Nintendo-emulated title. It went out and downloaded the Super Mario World (coughs) cover art for me for that game. And see, I just go into here. And when I configure this installer, I say, what type of runner, what type of run environment does this game need? And right now I have Linux native, a Steam game, a browser-based game. It also keeps track of your browser-based game. Or an SNEX runtime Super Nintendo game. Now take a look at this, No, I know you have to see this a little bit on delay, but this is really super right. cool. I can go in here and I can say manage runners. And Lutris will bring up a list of all of the different runtime environments that I can manage through Lutris. So Linux, Steam, Browser, Desura. Uh, Wine games. uh, So for example, right now I don't have native DOSBox support installed. So here's the Mm -hmm. DOSBox runtime. I just click install DOSBox, and now I have the ability to run all DOSBox games through Lutris. Uh, Same thing for all of the emulators. Here's MAME support. I click one button, I have MAME support. Uh, What's your favorite Super Nintendo emulator? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, N64 emulator? N64,
1: yeah, so I'll, uh, if... Because uh, this uh, also so has, this, so watch this,
0: before you, before you say it, I'm just going to, before you gonna say it, let's just say, let's say I didn't know what it was, okay, let's just pretend like I didn't know what it was. Noah, mm-hmm. one button install on Lutris. Okay, now, now you can reveal what wow. it is, and we'll move to that. I'm just saying, it's really yeah, it, cool, it's really
1: it's, cool. It's Muffin Mupp- 64, which I'll go into in a little bit, yeah, but no, I want to let you give you a chance. Of, okay, so essentially, I uh, so a lot of you know I'm not really a gamer. I support Steam to the extent that they run on Linux, and so I want to give them money so that they continue to support Linux. I could care less if I actually ever get anything for, that might as well just be a donation. What I do have a soft spot in my heart for is uh, the Nintendo 64. Yeah. And so specifically, Goldeneye and the Nintendo 64, I have wasted hours <laughs> of my life... in. in. In front of that and it it seems to have no end and now I have managed to get my son interested in it And so we continue to play and actually over Christmas Um he wanted to play and I actually I had an N64 That I uh that I'd had around for a while and then when it broke I bought one off of ebay And I started to 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 think I bet I could do this on linux And if you can do something on linux why not right so so I went out uh, I was
0: going to ask you uh, I did you actually were you actually able to hook up like a N64 controller to your linux rig oh yeah Oh, yeah, yeah, we're getting
1: to that. Oh, okay. So, so uh, w- the software I used was Muppin 64, and I was able to get the ROMs, put them into Muppin 64, and we were able to play the games. Now, it might surprise you to learn that one of the most uh, effective and easy game controllers you can use on Linux is actually the Xbox 360 controller. Uh, it works natively yeah. right out of the box. You mm-hmm. plug it right in, it just works. Yep. So, my son and I were using that, and that was fine for a couple weeks, and then I decided I wanted to use my actual N64 controller. Now, if you know much about those, <clears throat> about the antiquated uh, controllers, the Joysticks in the n64 basically like little rubber bands inside and they would wear out and so they would get really loose mm-hmm. And so you couldn't use them so the the first step was to purchase an n64 controller And then I had to rebuild the joystick which uh, did you I did ebay that thing um, so we got I got a, I bought an n64 controller nice. and I, I went through and pulled the pulled the joystick module out put uh, put the, a whole new system in there so that the joystick is nice and snappy, and then I had a good N64 controller. Now, that presented me with a problem because I had to get this proprietary N64 connector into my Linux-based computer. And so for that, I bought this thing off of Amazon for like $15 and it, again, is natively out-of-the-box compatible with Linux. Linux just sees it as a joystick controller. So, okay. and, well, I don't know if you can see that. It looks like but two it has N64 two...
0: ports on the end there. Yeah, nice. exactly. And then nice. the other end is USB. A- is
1: USB. Cool. So that plugs into <laughs> into my Linux box and then I can get controllers 1 and 2. Now that works natively nice. with Linux and Muppin64 is smart enough to know that this is an N64 controller so it automatically grabs uh, or Automatically sets up the entire key map for me. Oh, dude, it'd be kind of handy if uh, you've had a link for that in the show
0: notes if you can dig it up in your. Yep, your yep. I, I have links for both of those that we'll throw now, in there. Can and I, I actually. If I, if I know you. Did you want to switch over? Because I could. I wanted to show uh, something here in Lutris please. real quick while you do that. Uh, so now Kay. I added the N64 runtime that uh, Noah likes which is Moopin 64 Plus. And so now, if I had a ROM for Nintendo 64, and I think Noah could probably hook me up, I can go right into Lutris, and now it just has native ability to support, run, and manage Nintendo 64 games right in this one central UI. So uh, the, reason why, the reason why I want to show this to you is you have things like MAME, and uh, Laka, which are like full screen or full systems, you know, there's a lot of different takes on MAME. There's a lot of ways that people, you know, can you can launch a different ROM. The thing I really like about Lutris is it's just a straight-up desktop application where I do 95% of my gaming. It's not a full screen, take over your desktop kind of thing. And... I feel like it brings my Humble Bundle games, my Disorder games, my Steam games, and just my locally downloaded games into one spot. And now the thing I really like is all of my ROMs into one spot. So it's Lutris, and I think it's one of my favorite finds. And I was doing some digging last night when I was looking into a unifying app store, and it's Lutris.net, L-U-T-R-I-S dot net and they have a lot of cool things coming in fact uh the current support is one thing uh but uh, i i grabbed in the show notes a couple of things that they're working on that i i think you guys should probably be pretty uh, you guys would probably be pretty interested in uh, so things that they're going to build in is is native humble bundle support and native gog support right into the application uh mass imports of roms will be coming soon Game save management, which it would be very impressed to see how they plan to do that. Joystick configuration GUI, which is very badly needed under Linux. And archiving your installations to external drives. So if you need to get that game off your drive, but you don't wanna lose it and things like that, and, or have to re-download it, they're gonna have built into the game, or built into Lutris, the ability to automatically archive that installation off to a uh, removable storage device, which on an SSD storage, is going to be extremely nice. All right, Noah, what do you have going on over here? I, are you? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. You, I think
1: you just lost your co-host. Uh, are
0: you, are you yeah, playing yeah, a Counter-Strike? What is that, Counter-Strike? I, I, what is it? I'm,
1: I'm done. This is Goldeneye, man. Oh, Come Goldeneye, on. yes! Oh, this my is, gosh! Yeah. Wow! So, and this is, I'm playing this on, not only am I playing this on Linux, but I'm playing this with a native N64 controller, and, uh, on a Linux box, and the great thing about it is, total cost to me to do this, uh, assuming the, I already had the computer, total cost to do this is, like, 50 bucks. Yeah. Because you can buy the controllers for dirt cheap, and then you can buy the, the components to rebuild the joystick for, like, you know, twelve bucks, and then that little controller thing—the USB controller—is like thirty dollars.
0: Man, I'm, I can't believe I'm watching you play Goldeneye from Grand Forks right now uh, over the yeah. internet. But this is seriously yeah, welcome to 2015. Of, this is one of the greatest games. Now, the the, the, way, the way the crop is, people can't actually see that you are on an Ubuntu desktop, but he is oh, okay. on the Ubuntu desktop. Wow. uh it's just cropped yeah, like, in a yeah. little bit, but you could uh, yeah, minimize or oh, there you go. Are oh, you're still a little cropped. Yeah, there you go. See it? Look, look, it really is, ladies and gentlemen. He's on n64 now. Not that surprising, it's not that shocking, but it's it, what is surprising is how good of a game you can get, and how yeah. good all these emulators have gotten. Like they oh, have not. It feels, not it feels like N60. It feels native
1: N64, no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. there's there is nothing. If I hooked this up to a TV and handed you the controller, there is absolutely nothing. And believe me, I have the hour time to be able to say this with authority. There is nothing that will
0: stop me from knowing that I was actually on an on uh, on a computer. <laughs> yeah, and so you, great. with Lutris or not, you're just running this directly from the N64 emulator. You're not. You don't have any management software around it, right? Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, th- yeah, this is just. I, I, I literally, all I've did and you can actually see it here in the terminal, I literally ran uh Muppin and then the the yeah. the Goldeneye ROM. I like and that. then it uh and then it starts up and I can play my game. It's great.
0: Okay, so, I got uh, I can kill hours like this. I got one more for you. Uh, the see, the Noah's is really the most straightforward. You just launch from the terminal and you're good to go. There's one more that you may have heard about, it's been around for years. And it's gotten a little more active in just the last couple of weeks. So, I, like I say, like the, the timing of this segment is kind of crazy because all of a sudden there's a lot of momentum around this stuff. Have you ever heard of a project called Gnome Arcade? or Gnome Video Arcade. And it's actually under some renovation right now as we do this episode. But uh, when you launch it, it's a very, very, very straightforward arcade front end. And in fact, to make life easy on you, they go out and automatically discover some free legal-to-use ROMs like Pong and Breakout right here in Gnome Arcade. And you can, of course, add your own. And uh, it's a very, very simple front end. And it look for some interesting developments coming to it very soon. Much like Gnome Music, kind of got a makeover and Gnome Photos kind of became a thing, expect Gnome Video Arcade to kind of go that direction uh, soon. And so it's worth keeping an eye on. All right, Noah. There's one thing we've kind of skated around. There's one issue, Kay. one elephant in the room, getting all of these games legally. All these ROMs, yeah. all this stuff. You know, there is a way. Oh, okay. Are Interesting. you Interesting. It's very, it's very, I, I actually, I've been learning a lot in researching this um archive.org and i i i'm not a lawyer so i i really don't know if i'm getting this right but Mm -hmm. archive.org appears to have been granted some sort of dmca exception because they're a library or something and so archive.org has like let me see here look if you go show all it's something like yeah 42.8 gigabytes of roms available to download absolutely wow. legal and free and and some software like lutris that i talked about is actually actively working to integrate that archive.org rom archive into the software it's not done yet uh because it's so hmm. huge and it's just up on archive.org as a zip file uh so this is uh, it's a huge pack and um They're actually completely legal for you to download. No trickery, no torrent sites uh, from archive.org. You can do it over torrent or an HTTP download if if you want to abuse them like that. And so this is a great way. I don't know what all games are in there because I have not... Finish downloading a 42 gigabyte file because I started it earlier today. But at probably the end of the day today, I'll have a pretty good idea of what's in there, and then you can load it into an arcade emulator. So you've got a lot of really awesome software front ends to manage all of it, and then it's just a matter of finding sort of what fits your needs. You can go from something like there's MAME arcade cabinets all the way to something like Locker, where you can take over a Raspberry Pi or a NUC to something like Lutris, where it's just a front end application, to something like what Noah does, where he's just running the command right off the command line. Either way, it's a lot of really good stuff, and we'd love to hear what you guys do. Go over to linuxactionshow.reddit.com. You know, tips for ROMs, what you do to manage all of it, or what's worked for you, or maybe if you've been able to integrate it into your XBMC setup. All of that, I'd love to hear. linuxactionshow.reddit.com. But that's the Linux Action Show's look at the best in emulation gaming under Linux. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast, but we do have some feedback to follow up on and a little gadgetry to talk about and a couple other points I wanted to mention. Project Ascension is something we've talked about before. That is a sort of unifying app store that wants to bring all these different uh, app stores together. So Project Ascension is probably worth checking out, too. Uh, Lutris is what I'll be sticking with for now. Um, And Noah, we had a couple of emails to get to. We also mm-hmm. had a gadget that you've kind of teased a little bit on and off. You teased it a lot during Linux fest during the live stream. So people who watched our live stream coverage might have a hint of this new gadget you came across that you say is revolutionizing your workflow. Yeah. yeah, so what I what I bought is uh, a long,
1: long time ago, I wanted uh, when they first came out, I actually wanted one. I wanted to purchase a UMPC, but at that time I didn't really have a whole lot of money And by the time I I got to a a place in life where I was making enough money to purchase one They stopped making them Um, and so I was I've been scouring eBay for the last couple months to look to see if there was one that that I thought would be you know a little bit better suited uh, For my needs than others and I came across the Sony VAIO Uh, It's the P series and essentially what this is is a tiny little box. I'm
0: going to step away from the microphone so I can put it on the camera, but essentially, mm-hmm. there's a tiny little box that yeah. is running Linux. Uh, yeah, Sony, uh, and you've probably seen them. They seem like they're impossibly small. Uh, and that's a full computer. What is that on there? Is that Mate? It looks like it's got Ubuntu Mate on there. It's got a full QWERTY keyboard and the little uh, nipple mouse in the middle. It doesn't have a trackpad or anything. There's not even room for a trackpad. It's It's almost right, the size of a huge phone.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. So it fits in my back pocket, and I have uh, I have full-blown desktop Linux on here. I have Telegram, I have Thunderbird, I have Firefox. Um, it, you know, it, it's one of those things where everyone wants to find a different mobile platform that will work for them. And honestly, what I'm finding is that this. This right here. I was in Walmart the other night. We were in this impossibly long line, and I was standing there. And I'm like, "Well, what am I going to do?" And I'm like, "I know. I'm going to get some work done." So I pull my lap, my little laptop, out of my pocket and set it on the grocery cart. And I'm sitting there filling out, uh, filling out uh, progress reports for a couple companies inside of the Walmart line on my laptop. That I just there's no way I would do that on my phone. I cannot peck out uh, long emails on my phone. I can, however, touch type them on this keyboard. Keyboard big enough for it- that. It it is it's I mean it it's, it takes a little bit of work but yes I can touch type on it I can compose an email the the only the only downside I found is um, the video playback is. Basically non-existent and I think and I attribute that mostly to the fact that it's a it's it's a it's a 2010 uh, era Atom processor yeah, and I just don't think it has the power to do it Um, But as far as like getting tasks done as far I can open up uh, I you know I carry all my files on an encrypted uh, lux uh, USB stick and I can open those those files and you know the thing is I feel like every time I try to go to Android I make all these little compromises to make Android a platform that works for me I have to live without a mouse which I really like having I don't like in, pinching in to, to make a link bigger and then clicking on the link and then uh, pinching it out to make it zoom out and so then read the go whole back thing. to the way I don't want to do all that. And you know the other thing is too is I have these my, my my banking site They have a mobile app But there are certain things that you can't do from the mobile app that you need the desktop site Well, if I open it in the web browser it loads a stupid mobile site Which still is handicapped and I can't do half the things I want to do and I, I just I get so sick Facebook for example I, You cannot see how many friends you have in the in the in at least that I can find a simple way you cannot see how how many friends you have in the little app. Somebody was asking. They said, well, you know, we were having a discussion. I said, well, here, and I open it up. Can't find that in the mobile
0: app. I can, however, find that in the desktop page on, on a desktop so operating system. So I've got two, so, two critical questions for you, Noah. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, uh, how well does Linux run on it? Perfect. Okay. Uh, perfect. I, I plug the USB stick in. I let it finish installing,
1: and All right. everything works. Sound works, suspend works, what, Wi-Fi works, works. What could works, we boost, expect boost. reasonably battery-wise? Uh... It's a little slim. I, I'm getting, right now, I'm getting maybe four hours out of it, and then, uh, and mm. then I've got to recharge. I've kind of come to live with that, though, from the perspective of I'm constantly plugging my phone in in the car and everywhere I stop. So I guess I'm okay with having to charge it every so often. That's yeah. all right. And it's not going to replace my laptop. It's simply going to be a companion to my so laptop.
0: So it's, it's an it's Atom-powered an machine. And all in, mm-hmm. how much, you got it off eBay, how much did you spend? 300 bucks.
1: So it's yes. cheaper than a
0: tablet. It's probably more functional yeah. for you than a tablet. For me, battery life I, isn't I cannot... as good. Video playback isn't as good. But if you don't need those mm-hmm. things as your primary uses, you need something to get work done. Terminal right. SSH, web exactly. browser
1: stuff. Ig- exactly. And, you know, so you have been with me when you're like, <laughs> I, I know you've been there, but it's I take my laptop with me everywhere. And we went out to it, dinner and, people... and you bring your,
0: you, we go out to dinner. Right. We, we go out to a team, like for the first time the entire crew has ever been together. We're sitting down for dinner and Noah's over at his end of the table working on his laptop.
1: I, ha- I had to get graphics done for Linux West Northwest the next day. Yeah,
0: I know. But no, I, but it's no, but like everywhere. Like we'll
1: stop at, we'll stop at a 7-Eleven. And Chris will be like, hey, let's run in here. I'm like, all right, and grab your bag. You really uh, going to bring that? We're just getting Doritos and Coke. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, better be safe than And sorry. to be clear, my
0: Noah has fully tried out Chromebooks, like the C720, the Pixel. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is better because it's smaller. Yeah, you you name it. i you and in fact in tablets too. Everyone told me if I
1: bought the, the what was the newest Nexus like the Nexus 9. If you buy the Nexus 9 for five hundred and some dollars, it will change the way that you look at tablets and it will totally ra- no no it doesn't. It, it's still it is still Android and it still does not let me get the work I want to get done. This thing does. That's cool. So
0: I'm I'm totally convinced. That's Noah's gear tip of the week right there. Mhm. That is that deserves a ding. All right, Andrew R writes in with our first email of the week uh steam on ubuntu 15.04 done work he says i've just switched my computer from ubuntu 15.04 to zubuntu 15.04 because of some issues that i was having with mainstream ubuntu and found that i really like it better than the default unity desktop environment unfortunately i am having a deal breaker issue with the distro steam just won't launch i recognize that having this same issue with arch linux this actually wasn't the reason i switched but and i i, I says and i know from arch that i could just not find a way to fix the issue i looked around and around and around and i couldn't find the solution i think it must be the driver's issue or something that's causing this. Have you experienced anything similar? Is there anything I can do to make it work? I'm on Ubuntu 15.04, 64 bit, Steam runtime environment is enabled. However, libgl air, no matching FB configs or visuals is found, and libgl air failed to load driver SWRSAT. Uh, and then it goes on to complain about a VGA compatible NVIDIA graphics card uh, at G960GLM. Anyways, if you've seen this before on your Arch or Ubuntu Travels or Nova solution, please let me know, Andrew. I might have a solution. It, you know it's tough to say, Andrew, because I'm not sure I'd have to what I, it it could be just you having video card driver issues. But um definitely under Arch, if you want to install Steam, you have to go enable in Arch the multi-lib repo and install the thirty two bit versions of things like your driver. For your video card, maybe thirty two bit versions of the Pulse audio libraries are also the audio libraries. So um there Steam is a thirty two bit application and all pretty much all the games are thirty two bit. So you're on a sixty four bit environment and you might be on like a lean sixty four bit environment, maybe you haven't had to install a lot of thirty two bit stuff. So that might be one thing that's causing you issues. If you don't have the thirty two bit libraries for your video card, then Steam doesn't think you have three D acceleration. So that could be what you're running into. No, have you am I what do you think? Am I barking up the right tree? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That 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 is uh, that's what I've always done. Is
1: is the thirty-two bit and Ubuntu has the same thing. The IA thirty-two libs. Yep. Um, you install that and Steam seems to work right. And know, I, I don't. Once you get that, I'm done. not
0: totally clear on Ubuntu, but under under uh, under Arch, um, using real Linux, you have to install the nvidia 32-bit driver but there's a package that just takes care of all that for you i'm not sure how you do it on ubuntu i'm not sure if when you on fake linux well you know because you go into that driver wizard and it just sits there for a while and then eventually gives you a list of things you could install and some of them are like the same exact thing and you don't know what that does and then you click it and it's not sure it's not clear is it installing 64 bits and 32 bits or just which bits and so it leads to this exact problem Right, because yeah. if Andrew had specifically installed the 64-bit and 32-bit mm-hmm. versions, he would be aware of that. I'm not saying right. it's a bad thing, but it yeah. leads to this exact kind of issue when you're trying to troubleshoot later on. Well, you know what they say. If you make an operating system for uh, fools, only
1: fools will use it, right? Uh. It's nice. I mean, it, you know, it's nice to have it. Uh, yeah. All right. Do you well, want to take uh, the uh... Ankit? Yeah. Ankit writes in with questions for Chris and Noah. Hope all is well. I've been a Linux user for about eight years, full time for about three years, and a long time listener of Lass. Thanks for all the JB. Thanks for all of JB's hard work in putting out fantastic shows throughout the week. I'm headed into my medical residency and plan on practicing an outpatient clinic. As such, I'm very interested in be able to participate, time allowing, in managing my own clinic IT and EMR, everything from server side administration to printing, faxing, backup, and of course setting up clients, et cetera. Nice. Of course, we will do everything open source. I'm aware of a plethora of software options available, including EMR, and I'm comfortable with them. I don't know where to start with respect to gaining more Linux competency. I was hoping to get some input from either of, uh, either of you about this. I am familiar with setting up Linux from personal user's point of view, but would really like to learn system administration and other competencies needed for the goals that I have mentioned above. I don't know what makes these competencies... I don't know what these competencies should be, and I'm stuck with wondering what certifications, if any, would be useful. I'd really appreciate your thoughts on this and push in the right direction. Direction. Thanks. So I'd start off by saying this. Uh, First off, uh, if you're interested in actually learning about Linux and not necessarily obtaining a job, that uh, that is going to employ you based on your Linux skills, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily worry about certification, okay? Mm. Because the reality is, is certification, other than maybe giving you that extra confidence boost to say, I know how to do this because that, I'm certified. Or, or that-
0: the foot in the door for the interviews if you're having a hard time getting a gig. Right if
1: you're looking for that but if you're if this guy is not doing that he is he is going to uh, from what i understand from his email he's going to be administrating his own network his own place and if that's the case certification yeah, is it's no. a waste of time yeah. I, yeah. so so uh, what i would do and is money. i would look at things and and money i would look at things like linux academy um that's going to be a great way to improve your skills and you can go over there and and pick a specific uh, a specific task that you want to learn about and learn about it in in bite-sized pieces so for example in the in the medical world the most uh open source from uh emr that i have the most familiarity with is is open emr Um, and we've supported it for a couple clients in fact i am aware of a company that works out of minneapolis that does custom rolled solutions based around open emr so you call them you say you want an emr EMR, they come out, they set everything up for you, and it's just good to go. Um, If you did that, basically, you would start with simple things like assigning an IP address to the server so that it exists, and that is something that you could do, and I have a client that does this, runs the, their, that EMR on DigitalOcean, so that's a great mm. way to go, and it's a great way to get started with that, mm-hmm. um, and of course we manage the server for them, but if you wanted to do it yourself, essentially, uh, once you once you get the basic ideas of installing software via the command line, and you, you get the idea of SSH and SCP, once you get those basic things down, you can get a usable system, and then uh, what I would do is I would tackle problems as you come across them. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily try to go with the shotgun approach, because you're never going to be able to... Yeah, let me please. jump
0: in here, and, and, and I want to make something 100% clear. I'm not going to make a dime by saying this. Linux Academy does not sponsor the Linux Action Show. I make no money. Mm-hmm. If you want to do me a favor and you want to check them out after I say this, go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged or coders. You pick. That would actually support the network, but here's the thing. Linux Academy has recently introduced this feature called Nuggets, and they're just like one off tasks like i need to learn mm-hmm. how to set up ntp and i don't need a whole course on all of this i don't need right. to i don't need to learn how ntp works necessarily i need to know how to configure it how to implement it and how to secure it and so they have these nuggets now and so if you are in the position of our our rider here where you need to rapidly expand your knowledge and maybe you do want to slip into certifications at some point like you want to be able to set up a course where you could go search if you want Linux Academy is, is is there. I don't know of a better system out there to do it. it honestly, mm-hmm. if these guys weren't doing this, what Linux Academy is, I think I would retool Jupiter Broadcasting to do what they're doing because it it is so exactly what the Linux community needs. And yeah. uh, so I I just even if they don't sponsor the show, I, I wish they could. I wish I wish I put more sponsors in this show because they would be my first pick to go in this show because they're so perfect for you guys. Um, and it really he needs to go over there and just look at all of his options and try stuff out because they're going to give you a virtual machine that you can go bang on and break and the thing is and again they're not paying me to say this it's scenario based training so you're going to go deploy a scenario and then actually walk away with experience on how to do that so you've mm-hmm. you've essentially done it once when you have to go set it up on your own home network so it's still you're still learning obviously when you set it up on your home network but it won't be the very first time you've done something because you know the first time you set something up, you get it done, you're like, oh, that's great. Now I want to completely redo mm-hmm. it and set it up correctly. And so that's the nice thing about the scenario-based training is you kind of go through that the right way once. And then when you go to do it yourself, when you go set up your own server, it's not you're not totally a noob at it. It's, it's It gives yep. you a little bit of confidence. So, yeah, that, that would be great. Uh, also, another quick follow-up. Rekai found the solution for our Steam users' issues. Uh, so we have linked to that in the show notes. If you've also experienced the same problem that our uh, Ubuntu 1504 writer is, uh, Rikai found an Ask Ubuntu thread that looks like the solution, and the chat room has verified that does look like the correct fix. So we have a fix in the show notes in the feedback section. Did you have any other closing thoughts on that? You know, are you ready think for the next one? Yep, I'm ready for the next one. Okay. Uh, DD writes in, and he says, uh, Hi. Uh, can you say what theme it is you use on, and which version of Linux you're using? I think it's Ubuntu, and he links us to a video where we're reviewing OpenSUSE uh, uh, 13.2, and it's a, it's a shot of my desktop, which is kind of like desktop right now because you're looking at my desktop, looking at my desktop. And I'm looking at my desktop, looking at my desktop, looking at my desktop. Wow. So uh, I get this question a lot. And this is, on the video, this is Numix that you see there. And uh, Numix is one that I've used a long time. I've recently changed things up a little bit just uh, because I got a recommendation to do so, and I thought, you know what, it is probably time. So I'd like to tell you about a new GTK theme that I I think is really great. So I think it's coming from the SolOS project. I think perhaps they're the ones developing it. It's called Evopop, E-V-O-P-O-P. I might be wrong on the origins, but it's gorgeous. It's a GTK theme combined with icons, and a shell theme. And all of it together is is I think I like it because it it, it it's a little differential or irreverential, I guess is the way to say it. it. Like it doesn't it's not taking itself too seriously. It's still incredibly well designed and it doesn't look like anything on any of the proprietary desktops. I don't know any other desktop out there that looks quite like this. Now I've opted to turn on the dark theme here because I happen to just think that looks a little nicer on my eyes, especially when I work late. But uh, they also do have it available as a, a lighter theme. Oh, I guess I'd have to change more than just that. Um. I'm wrong. But they do have available different theme colors too. I just happen to think it looks extremely elegant. So again, it's Evopop, E-V-O-P-O-P, and they have the GTK theme, the icon theme, and a shell theme for GNOME 3, and it really brings it all together, uh, including uh, support for the new GNOME notification area, which makes the notifications really bold, but makes the calendar easy on the eyes. So I like it a lot. Previous themes that you saw was Numix, and the icon theme was Numix Squared. Do you mess with your themes much Noah, or are you good with like a like when you install Fedora do you just you good? I just leave it.
1: <laughs> and I and then and then I come to Jupiter broadcasting and Chris and Rick I go, your fonts look terrible. Your windows look terrible. Your icons look terrible. Yeah. Don't you have any icon packs? Why didn't you customize the icon packs? I'm like, because I don't care. Yeah. I can open the folders. It's all
0: matters. But you don't don't you but aren't you don't even feel compelled to lick your icons? That's so weird. No, I, I, no. I know. I do get <laughs> I, I change it I
1: change it to, here's the custom my extent to my customization is I change the the folder view from the uh, like the big fat folders to the list view where yeah, it's on one list. Yeah, I do that. And too, then yeah. I change it from the default zoom from all the way into thirty three percent so they're very small. Oh. Pass that, I don't because I want to see as many files on the screen at one time as I can.
0: Pass that. Okay. All right. And then one last, since, since we're this far in heaven's revenge is right. I should probably mention some of the extensions I use try them at your own risk. Uh, so Caffeine, uh, Caffeine's a great extension because you can click it and then it keeps your monitor on all the time. It's just a little coffee cup up in my screen. I click that and then you see I get a little notification there. Auto suspend and screensaver are disabled. I click it again and now my screensaver and lock settings all come back to normal. This is great if I just for a, a stretch of time don't want my screen to lock for some reason. Maybe I'm watching a movie, mm-hmm. maybe I'm encoding a file. That's called Caffeine. Dash to dock is what gives me the uh, Unity like dock along the side. I've modified it to expand to the whole side. Sort of like you interface only doesn't look like it was written in 1993. I also have the imager screenshot uploader tool that allows me to screenshot anywhere on my screen and then automatically post it on Imager. Minimum workspaces is one of my favorite GNOME extensions. Minimum workspaces allows me to have four set fixed workstations. I don't like mm-hmm. dynamically generating workstations. Give me four and then generate beyond that. That's what uh, minimum workspaces does. That's how I just prefer to use I like to mm-hmm. know that there's four I can move things around. So that's a good one. Yeah, and the, re- the you know one thing that really plays into that is I
1: like to have my my uh, my web browser on my first w- uh, my first workspace, my email on my second one, and then I put various tasks on three, four, and so on, and so forth. Well, the problem becomes is uh, I like to not have my email up on the screen all the time because I open my laptop in front of a client. I don't necessarily yes, want that coming yes, yes, out. Yes, well, yes. the problem is with that if you don't set that minimum workspace, what happens is mm-hmm. I go to close my Firefox window, which mm-hmm. happens Ooh. all the time. Yep. Yeah. All yep. of a sudden now my my email's yep. up. I'm like, what? Yep. Well, how did that happen? Yeah, I, I know, closed my email. Oh, now no, my porn's no, no, no. up. Why is yeah. my porn up? I didn't yeah. want my porn yeah. to come up. So, so that was on workspace three. Stay there. So if you have that minimum workspace, yep. that problem takes care of that.
0: All right, now this is my favorite. This is my boo of uh, extensions. It's called Ping Indicator and. I cannot believe how much value I get out of one little extension. I want to meet this guy or gal and buy them a beer. It's Ping Indicator, and all it does is puts the milliseconds up in my toolbar, how long it takes to ping, whatever IP I've defined. I did Google DNS because that's what it came with, and you know what? Google builds for you to ping them so you don't have to feel so guilty. But it turns out getting the response time to Google in my toolbar is very, 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 very useful because I'm familiar with networks, and I'm familiar with how latency can translate to poor performance for things like video streaming when talking to Noah, Steam downloads, or just waiting for pages to display while I'm sitting here talking to my audience. Having those milliseconds there gives me an idea of what my expectations should be. And now, because I know my network, I can tell by looking at my toolbar when Rikai is uploading a video to YouTube or when maybe a Skype call is going to have problems, all simply because I have the milliseconds of how long it takes to get from my house or my studio Mm -hmm. to Google. And the other great thing about that, Noah, is I have it on all my laptops, too. So any Wi-Fi network I'm on, so if I go to public Wi-Fi, I immediately know what kind of performance to expect before even my first web page loads. It's a ton of information I get just by having ping status in my toolbar. So that's ping indicator. I also also know if
1: Google DNS goes down. Yeah, that
0: too. I also have the places uh, indicator, which is not so useful, but it just gives me quick access to all my Nautilus favorites uh, right here, and it just launches Nautilus right to that area. So I figure instead of clicking Nautilus and then clicking on a location, it's nice just to have a menu bar entry, and if I just want to go to my videos folder, it's just one click. Of course, it launched the wrong program. Uh, Then uh, the last few themes I have is Uptime Indicator. So you can see my Bonobo's been running for uh, seven days, and uh, the last reboot was uh, last Linux Action Show at 8.45 a.m. while I was setting up for the show. So that's neat. I just like getting that information because my Linux rigs run for quite a while. And uh, Workspace Indicator is the last extension that I'm actively using. Uh, I have a bunch of others installed, but they're disabled. Workspace Indicator just gives me a number and tells me what workspace I'm in under GNOME, allows me to jump directly to one, or what I actually use it for all the time is I just put my mouse over it, and then I just use my scroll wheel, and I scroll through all the different workspaces, uh, Mm -hmm. and it just scrolls at the speed of my scroll wheel, which is either really fast... Or really slow. And so, and the other thing is, is sometimes because all my workspaces under GNOME look alike, and if I don't have any windows open, I, I don't know immediately what workspace I'm at. I can just look up at my toolbar and go, oh, I'm on workspace one. All right, I'll launch Chrome here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are my extensions, those are my theme. Putting all of that together, and this is just my personal opinion, makes GNOME 3 an unbeatable productivity environment. I, I think in terms of the way it looks, the way it performs, the features that it offers, but yet somehow magically completely staying out of my way where I would completely even forget I'm using GNOME. And this is fundamentally where KDE begins to kind of fall down, is KDE is never able to fully get out of my way. And part of it is it's so enticing for me to play with it. I just can't help myself. Gnome, Mm -hmm. I get it kind of set up with these extensions, and I feel like I've created this mecca of productivity, and I'm good. And I just start focusing on my work. And it has a very good flow for me to do that. You know, the way I happen to work with clips and media and different web browsers. And, you know, the fact that I have on one screen, I have my web browser. On the next screen, I have the demo application. Like in this case, it was Lutris or QT BitTorrent. On the next screen, I have my chat room. And on the last screen, I have my soundboard. For my particular Mm -hmm. workflow, it's perfect for all of that kind of stuff. So you take Mm -hmm. all these extensions, you add those themes. GNOME 3 on top of basically any kind of Linux I prefer Arch, but any kind of Linux, it's it's a great environment. Not saying it's necessarily best for everyone. Sure is for me though. And Noah, I think it's great that you don't need all those extensions or themes. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. I yeah. really do. I mean,
1: because it takes I, less. I have fun- yeah, I mean the, the the thing is is if I didn't switch laptops every time the wind mm-hmm. changed directions, mm-hmm. I, I might actually buckle down and mm-hmm. configure a machine and, and add some of that stuff in. The problem is, I spend a couple hours doing that and then like 2 weeks later I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to
0: switch machines." And then I have mm-hmm. to do it all
1: over again. Well, so and it's not,
0: I just get to a point where I just learn how to use the way it I is totally taught. agree. I, I completely and I, I try not to go overboard with this stuff because of that, but mm-hmm. I end up just finding all the stuff I love so much, I can't help myself. And you know what the, mm-hmm. you know what the, the cost is? When the next version of, like, when GNOME 3.18 comes out, yeah, some of break. the stuff might break, right? Yeah. I, I was really fortunate. Between GNOME 3.14 and 3.16, like, almost nothing broke. It was really a smooth upgrade. Wow. That's almost never the case, though. At least it hasn't been so far. Maybe they're getting better about it. So, mm-hmm. there are definite downsides. And until they get that API for the extension stable, which could be never, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, you know, that's always going to be one of the disadvantages of using GNOME. But, I find now that GNOME 3 and basically it's almost raw state, like you use it, is usable mm-hmm. enough that I can run it for like a couple of weeks like that until the extension authors update their extensions, and then I just slowly add back all these neat things. But even in its right. raw version, it's still pretty usable for me these days. It's come a long mm-hmm. way. I mean, I was one of the big haters, so and now, I, now I'm now I'm married to it. Now you're all in. No, you mentioned it earlier, but if I wanted to, you know find out what you do for a day gig maybe get some services if i was in the grand forks area or maybe even outside there where where would i go noah yeah if you head over to altaspeed.com we do commercial it support
1: residential it support we've done everything from from people are building a building and they want simply somebody to come in there and pull wires through the ceiling and drop them down and put in the server infrastructure and put in the workstations and teach people how to use the software that we put on there. Uh, We've done everything from that all the way up to we do uh, contracting work for for different companies. They have a presence in Grand Forks and they want somebody to manage their IT infrastructure. They don't want somebody to take over. They just want somebody to go over there and re-image a workstation or manage a specific server or swap out a specific switch. We do stuff like that. Nice. And that's what uh, that's what put bread on the table I like and of it. course we do
0: that using Linux and you can also find him at twitter.com slash kernel Linux you know for a long time I've said you could find me at twitter.com slash Chris this might be changing um, really well you know this Twitter account I'm not sure what we're gonna do yet but this Twitter account has always sort of really been this weird mix of official JB news and my personal tweets yeah and so I might just break them off at some point point. And just have a personal Twitter account, an official JB mm-hmm. account. Mm-hmm. So uh, brace yourselves for that. We'll let you know when that happens. But uh, right now, find me at twitter.com slash Well, whatever we do, I'll be keeping that handle. So twitter.com slash chrislas. There just might be some changes in the near future. Well, don't forget, too, we do this show live on Sundays. We start usually around 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, that's... Uh, Go to com slash calendar. Get that converted to your local time zone. And then we usually keep going. The faux show comes up after this. And if you can only listen on the go, maybe you're driving on a Sunday. Taking a Sunday drive, are you? jblive.info for the audio only. Or maybe maybe you just want theater of the mind. Right, that's why I like audiobooks. jblive.info will do that. And don't forget, if you want to make this show better, engage with the community, give us app picks, news stories to cover, or insights, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. And if you want your email read on the show, you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, or just email us directly, linuxactionshow at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Noah, is there anything else we need to cover on this week's show? I think we covered everything and then some. Wow, that's a big show then. That's a really big show. I think so. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We'll see you right back here next week. But one of the reasons why Lutris appeals to me is I found myself Simply avoiding GOG and Humble Bundle because I just like having everything in one place in Steam. I just like launching Steam and all my games. No kidding, right? Right. No kidding. But sometimes GOG is like, for example, that this new Star. Oh fuck! I forgot to mention the Star Trek game. That new Star Trek game that's super really great that I run under DOSBox isn't even available under Linux on Steam, so I have to get it from GOG. Yeah. So I needed to find something to manage it, and that's where Lutris came in. Mm -hmm. Hey, Rikai, put that in the outtakes.
1: Yeah, actually, you know how amazing that is. That when you, uh, when when I go to install, a go and install a computer, and I sit down, I'm like, oh, I gotta get my games. Oh, I'll just sign into Steam and mm-hmm. click install. Yep,
0: I know. Yep, that's honestly why I like the AUR too, because I do that same thing from the command line. Hacker yeah. <laughs> dash s, blah 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 Walk away, and I do dash dash no confirm dash dash no edit. Yeah, that's right. I do that, and then I walk away, and I get back, and all of my software is installed.
1: Yeah, we do, and the, and the 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 thing is, um, Windows Ten has to be successful, right? At, at yeah. least from the if you if you're a person that likes Microsoft, you better hope that Windows Ten is successful because according to Microsoft, that's the end of the road.
0: No, that's yes, bullshit. Come on, wow. come on. Maybe come it on. is, maybe it isn't, but that's, no, that's, that's what they say. No, they're even backing down on the statement now. They're even starting to restate oh, that. Oh, really? They've, not not completely, but what they're saying is now what they're saying is so uh, this came out last week. What that statement means is. We're not mm-hmm. focusing on anything but Windows 10 right now. Oh, okay. That's, that's not what it means. That's not yeah. what that statement means. That is not yeah. what Windows 10 is the last version of Windows ever is not mm-hmm. the same thing as saying we're not focusing on Windows. Yeah. Uh, right. We're not focusing on the next version yet. And the other thing, the other thing they've done, they've now backed away from, you probably saw this, is we're going to give Windows 10 away to free for free to pirates. It doesn't matter if you don't have a legitimate copy of Windows. Since this is the last version of Windows, we're going to allow Windows pirates to upgrade for free. Did you hear about this?
1: No, I didn't, but honestly,
0: it... And now it doesn't matter, because they've already backtracked. No, it doesn't matter. No. They've already backtracked, and so they're not doing that. So it right. doesn't matter. But here's the thing. If, if you're
1: Microsoft, if I was Microsoft, I would I would be doing both of those things, because both of those of things would be. seem like they're in the best interest of, of Microsoft. Of course
0: it would be. That's why it's painful that they don't even think about it. Or you know what else you would do if you're Microsoft? Not Seven different editions of Windows 10, and by the yeah. way, or, yeah. by the way, right. that's just the consumer. There's even more when you get into the business and enterprise and the yeah. medical businesses. You know what? And embedded.
1: That bit, that bit me. Not, not eight, but to, uh, seven. They had that seven mm-hmm. starter edition. I mm-hmm. never really knew exactly what the difference was. And I, I was at a, I was at a client a couple weeks ago, and it, you can only install three programs, and then it stops you from installing more. It, it, like. I, Mine was blown, but you apparently there's a limitation to how many Mm -hmm. pieces of software you can install before Before you have to pay the extra whatever it is $69 Mm -hmm. to upgrade Mm -hmm. to the Home basic or whatever
0: But anyways, uh, go ahead and put it on your Raspberry Pi (laughs)